Hello, Whiskey Files, and welcome to another episode of Pot Still Radio. As always, I'm your host, Matt Heady, Chief Editor of PotStill.com, your independent Irish whiskey resource where we distill and analyze all the news and releases in the market today. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, the Irish Whiskey Magazine, the only magazine in the world dedicated to sharing the exciting news, lifestyle, and spirit of Irish whiskey. You can find out more at irishwhiskeymagazine.com. And the Tour Glass, a contemporary nosing and tasting glass, a symbol to unify Irish whiskey drinkers across the world. And you can find out more about this beautiful glass at tourglass.ie. On this week's episode of Pot Still Radio, I sat down with Michael Walsh, head distiller from Dingle Distillery, to talk all things Dingle, where he came from to become the youngest master distiller in the country, and also the astronomical prices that the Dingle whiskies are getting in auction today. Do bear with us though, as we're sitting in the lovely acoustic surrounds of two shipping containers. There are lots of bells, dings, and whistles as we are in a working distillery. Steve Galeric Actina, Fotorov on Show A Potstill Radio, Is a man of my whole Haley, Augustin New, Home and Quail Tatele, in Gutikari, Yangan, in Andriglana, Unshimul, Dingle Distillery, Augustin Ansauce de Vesho, Mark Homele, Trigador, Michael Walsh. So, welcome, folks, to another episode of Potstill Radio. As always, I'm your host, Matt Healy, Chief Editor of Potstill.com. I'm delighted to be welcoming you today to the Dingle Distillery in the Dingle Peninsula, I suppose western, the most westerly town in Ireland or westerly town in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I am delighted to be sitting here with the master sitter, one of the youngest master sitters in the country, Michael Walsh. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you very much for coming. Um, so I suppose I'd love to get started. Obviously, an super exciting distillery project. There's hardly an Irish whiskey fan in the world that doesn't know the name Dingle Whiskey. Um, but before we get into that, Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become the master sitter here in Dingle? I suppose uh, one of the youngest master sitters in the country. Um, well, I was very fortunate, really. Um, it was kind of circumstance. I I studied engineering college, and then, like most of my generation, um, emigrated. I went to London um, first. Um, spent about a year in London, um, and then was planning to go further afield. Was planning on probably ending up in Australia. So before I went there, I came back to spend uh, some time with family uh, Christmas, pre-Christmas 2012. Um, and around that time, uh, there was a lot of commotion and bustle down in uh, the old the old uh, hardware um, in Milltown, which is now the thing the city. Um, and my father, um, who doesn't drink and actively campaigns all my adult life that I do the same. Um, was adamant that I just hand in a CV. Now I had very limited knowledge of uh, of whiskey production or whatever. I certainly had never worked in a distillery before, so I was reluctant. And um, I remember the, the the thing that stuck with me was my father telling me that wouldn't you be better off working in a, a distillery and dingle sweeping floors than over in Australia and not seeing your family and all of that. So. Uh, I hadn't told them that I was planning on going to Australia, but I would find it very difficult to turn around and then say, actually, I'm not going to hand out any CVs in the Dingle and I'm just going to immigrate. So to keep him happy, I came in. Um, came in here on the 2nd, I think it was 2nd of December 2012, on what happened to be the very first day that the spirit stills 
well, all three, but the spirit still was run. Um, and the miss, uh, the general manager, Mary Furter, in the door, a local woman who sent me up into the still house um, where there was a group of half dozen or so people um, gathered around a little brass box. Um, our spirit, the, the spirit safe, um, Oliver, Liam, Peter, the directors, and John McDougall, our consultant, the sitter, were all there. I could tell that it was a very tense moment. I wasn't really sure what was happening, but I certainly didn't want to interrupt. So I kind of fell into what was kind of a, a line of people. And after about five to ten minutes, liquid started to flow from the still, which was great excitement. Shortly after that, then John um, started handing out glasses of this um, spirit, um, which comes off the still at about 80% alcohol. So every two to three minutes, John was passing around in a fresh sample to see, and, and we could all monitor to the changes that were happening and the, the intricacies of the of the spirit as it flowed from the still um, and was also adamant that we swallow the liquid because the finish was very important so after about a half an hour of this i was um, running the risk of getting a little worse for wear so uh, i just kind of brought me up, like, i'm really sorry i just came here to hand over my cv and to the embarrassment most people most people there because they just assumed i was a member of family for somebody and i knew some of that i wasn't well, as <laughs> they walking in the door. Um, so uh, Peter pulled me aside and brought me downstairs and I was looking for anything to get away from that, that man and his, his ever increasing strength of spirit. Um, so went for a quick walk through the distillery um, and a very kind of a botched job interview. He basically asked me would I come back in the next day to empty the mash tun. Um, Everything in Dingle here is done manually, including emptying the mash tun, um, which is a ton of barley that is probably heavier than that when you add the water weight, and it's a very hot, messy job, um, which none of the directors had any interest in doing. So they asked me, would I come in uh, and do it the next day? And I got on grand, and uh, they asked me, would I come back the next day? And as I was coming in, there was other odd jobs um, that I was uh, landed with, uh, things like, uh, like just keeping an eye on, on things. That I, I'm from a dairy background, so although distillation is nothing like milking a cow, the pumps, the heat exchangers and everything like that, and the, the guts of the facility are very similar. So um, I was able to uh, rock my way through that kind of aspects, but in the meantime, was absolutely engrossed with everything that was happening here. Found it an absolutely fascinating process. Um, couldn't find out enough about it. Couldn't spend enough hours in the, the, the distillery. Um, as soon as I went home, all I wanted to do was read books, research, learn more. Um, so um, learned an awful lot here on site and um, the brewing side of things from um, Peter, um, who's the head brewer in uh, Porthouse, and from the more distillation side from uh, John McDougall, and then took on courses through the IBD and, and uh, stuff in the background to upskill myself. And then uh, a few years later, as, as, as John uh, was spending much less, less and less time with us here, a position opened up as um, the head distiller, and I was fortunate enough to, um, to land the, the, the role, um, which I, I've been internally grateful to Oliver and Demon and Peter for giving me the opportunity. Um, because I was one of the youngest, like I was a very young guy, um, to be given that kind of a responsibility in what was a project that they had an awful lot, not only invested in, in financially, but um, this uh, 
itself. And we that this was Oliver's baby. This was their pride and joy. There's an awful, an awful lot of wrestling on. Um, but they had faith that I'd be able to do the job, and I hope I I I um I repay that uh, confidence. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of the setting up and a lot of my job from from head to sitter um point of view um is instilling consistency. So we've worked uh, and there was tireless research and, and, and consultations with various people to to make sure we our our still shape our how we do our formatations, our distillations, everything that we had a process that we were happy would create a fantastic whiskey. And then it was ensuring doing that exactly the same day in, day out as in, then as often as possible. So um, that's what I've been trying to do and, uh, and instill that consistency into our product as well, keeping those high standards that were set out before me. Yeah. Fair enough. And I suppose as you're saying, like obviously very young, what what age were you when you when you took over the mantle here? Oh, I was like 20, 28 now, I was twenty was three years now, it's twenty-four, twenty-five. Um so yeah, very so, young. So I suppose as we were saying before we, we got on the microphone, um there, there is I suppose a lot of scope for younger generations in 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 what's I suppose a re-fledgling industry, really. Yeah, like there there is an awful awful lot of opportunity. Um I suppose most people when you think of a head distiller or or in charge of distilleries, they are largely older men who have probably worked in the distillery from a, a young age, like John McDougall was working in the distillery since he was 15, 16, um, and then made his way to work to walk through the ranks and um, but but here in Ireland now with, with the, the growth within the industry not all of the positions can be fulfilled and um, the reality can be fulfilled by guys with years and years of experience within the industry um, and so there are amazing opportunities for uh, young men and women to get involved and and to put their stamp in um, on the industry so like either I'm 28 now but I'm again one of the oldest I'm on the, on the older side of our, our staff inside here, um, so it's a, we have a young team, um, but it, it, it's an industry made up of uh, a lot of young people now, and and that's set to increase with all of the new distilleries again. Um, many of them are, many of the guys um, involved in the different distilleries are young guys and girls as well, so um, well, it's an exciting time, uh, and, and hopefully many more, because uh, like this has been amazing, the opportunity, and to have the job, and I would only, uh, uh, would only hope more and more people get it, the opportunities that I've had here as well. Yeah, and I suppose it's interesting to say, how many people do we have working here full time? Uh, there's twelve of us working here full time now. Started off from a team of three, um, built up to twelve, and we would be planning on increasing that um, that number as we work forward. Um, I suppose most of our production side of things, we, we produce whiskey, gin, and vodka um, here. Most of our production process our day to day has been involved in making whiskey, gin, vodka, and then a, a bottling the vodka and gin. We haven't been doing much as far as um, bottling whiskey is concerned, but that will be an increasing um, part of our day to day work here in Dingle. As uh, more and more of our stocks um, mature um, and come of age, but also we're increasing. We started off with two fermentation vessels, we've now got five. We started off suppose <coughs> brewing a couple of batches a week now we do two batches of whiskey per day seven days a week um working year round pretty much um so we're increasing the amount of whiskey um as but the company the company is independent 
we're completely independent and so we don't have maybe the same access to to funds or, or to money so it, had, it was an organic growth um, for the distillery really there was um, certain uh, volume of, of, of capital that was gathered through the founding fathers program but after that it, it had to become a it really has to become a self-sustaining entity um, it's part of a larger group with the Porterhouse Brewery um, but realistically uh, it was as we've grown the team as particular sales of gin um, and vodka have increased we've been able to take on more staff um, the tour the tour side of things we started off here and I don't know that the directors ever really envisaged the tour side of the business being as popular or as much of a part of our business. Um, but I remember when we started off here, people would simply come to the door and ask, could they have a, a look around? Um, and I were asking Oliver, well, what should I do? And not, anybody comes to the door, obviously show them around. Uh, now, that coming from that answer probably came from the fact that they had a brewery in Glasnevin, or Glasnevin now, but brewery in an industrial estate in, in Dublin for one to 20 years. and. I don't think anybody had or half a dozen people ever in that period had come and I had knocked on the door and asked would they have a look around. Um, when you're here in Dingle on the Slayhead Drive and word gets out that oh yeah just go back and knock on the door and they'll give you a look around. Um, I was no sooner finished showing one person around than there was another person coming so we then started doing more organised tours and and now do offer tours seven days a week pretty much uh, that well, all 12 months of the year, um, from 12 o'clock in the morning onwards. So um, we now have four people full-time employed as well on the, the tour side of things. Um, so it's a very big part of, and as tours and numbers and sales and gift shop, that, all of that money was reinvested back in then to getting an extra fermentation vessel, getting more uh, equipment um, and so on to be able to, and more staff to be able to make more and more whiskey. So yeah. I suppose um, one, of, one of the things I suppose that as you're expanding, especially like you're definitely just saying earlier, investing the industry into the area as well, which I suppose. Yeah, I mean, Dingle, Dingle is, um, is a wonderful town um, and does very well as uh, our tourism. Um, I suppose the more traditional industries would have been uh, fishing and farming, but there's not the same opportunities there, I suppose, certainly not the same amount of people employed as there would have been once upon a time, but a lot more people involved in, in the tourism side. Um, but for myself and all my classmates and stuff, as we were in school, the reality of, of wanting to try and forge a career in Dingle outside of inheriting a hotel or a, a business probably from your parents a or a pub or, yeah, you you probably weren't, you, you could get a job no problem as a barman or as a waitress or, or whatever but the opportunity to have a, maybe a, a more rewarding or career long-term career um we're on the same there's no real other big industry in the town and so to bring something like this is something that i'm incredibly proud of and i suppose the the town has been incredibly supportive of there's like i said there's now a team of 12 young guys um working here and um, growing from three and we plan to grow on more and um yeah that's something to be able to give something like that to the town so that 
though it's not a massive volume of people yet, but that there is an opportunity for young lads to work and to be passionate about a career, not just to have a job near home, to actually have something, a career that can be passionate about in a business that um, is really ambitious and uh, something we need to be proud of as well. I've even noticed, um, you know, it's been for myself a couple of years since I've been down here, and I've noticed even the huge turnaround in the in the whiskey gin side down here as well. So that must be a great support of of the, you know, there's dingle vodka and gins on shelf signs all over town. And I mean, I I think dingle dingle is a, a funny time. Like everybody, that was my one. I suppose one of my main things I noticed, I suppose, you know, I grew up born and raised in Dingle, lived here all my life and before I went to London. You could walk around Dingle in October, November, as you walk around the streets, you might meet half a dozen, ten people, unfortunately. But everyone says hello, everyone meets you, you know everybody. Um, you go to London, every day I'd meet thousands of people. Nobody certainly said hello, nobody cared about that, nobody knew anybody. Um, but with the town, everyone knows. But it, we're all, it is a proper community and there are plenty of people that come, Dingle has a very well-known name and there are plenty of people I suppose that try it with limited success to come and just get well, gimmicky stuff branded Dingle and just try to slap a name on it and hope that it sells. But we get no support from the town really. Whereas the gin and vodka, people could see that we take very, we, we, we're very proud of where we come from. The biggest font of anything on the front of our bottles is Dingle, where we come from, but we also back that up with taking great pride in the quality of the products. Um, and so for a town, I suppose there was some skepticism or awareness at the beginning, but then once they saw yeah, the people, there's no need of brand ambassadors or anything like it in Dingle, there's no need of even trying to encourage, you don't have to tell people, oh, well, everyone goes above and beyond to support, because there's nearly a degree of ownership from the town, like even people, people go on even friends that go up the country or wherever they for go to wherever go for it. people that are having a wedding. The first thing they'll bring with them now is a bottle of gin, a dingle gin, and, and present it uh, as as if they they make it themselves or it's, it's their own distillery. Um, so there has been a great support. Every bar in the town uh, says that like that signs and. Um, if you go into any bar or any restaurant or anything and ask anything at all about spirits, you will be recommended. Or even if you don't ask, you'll be recommended <laughs> um, that you, you, you drink the, the Dingle products and you have no shortage of support here, which has been massive. Like we started off, when we started off here in Dingle, we didn't have a marketing budget. We didn't have uh, funding to put anybody on the road really selling the product. Um, the, the thought process was um, Oliver's school of, of marketing was make a product good enough that you don't have to try and trick people into drinking that they would try it and they would then seek it out themselves um, and that's all fine but you have to get people to try it and we're lucky here that in Dingle um, so many people from around the world and around the country come and visit Dingle and maybe just for the gimmick but also from the recommendation of the bars they will try the Dingle gin there luckily or I suppose because of the quality of the product many enjoyed it and what we found very quickly people were going to Dingle trying it and then going back and we were getting phone calls from bars in Adair or, or Galway or random spots around the country that look Mary from down the road was down and she's come back after her holidays in Dingle she won't shut up about this gin would you be able to send up a bottle and slowly then started. that's how it was a very organic growth um, but that was largely based on again the support from the town and everyone that came to Dingle to be sure that they were recommended 
pretty much in every bar in the town that they drink and not too many escaped without um, having at least tried a glass uh, uh, of products somewhere along the line. Uh, I noticed also as, a, as an interesting collaboration as well as one of the other famous, um, I won't say exports, but one of the famous things that have traveled from Dingle, the Murphy's Ice Cream uh, franchise, have an absolutely mind-blowing Dingle Gin uh, ice cream. We, myself and a few friends tried yesterday. Yeah, uh, I mean, a Dingle would be famed uh, for the quality of, I suppose like many town, but the quality of the food and, and you know, drink that we produce here, but there are many interesting, and Murphy's being probably the most well-known, I suppose, that outside of the town. Um, but yeah, they, they make a, a Dingle Gin ice cream, which is one of their biggest sellers. And like we said, it's, um, it's a fabulous product as well. And it's, uh, we're, um, it's kind of uh, a nice trade-off. We give them the gin, they give us a copious amount of ice cream in return. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit daunting, I suppose, again, for many people. I suppose it doesn't sound very big, uh, gin ice cream, but it is very nice. Uh, but many of the other restaurants, pretty much every restaurant in Dingle, if you go into, will have one or a number of products, salmon, smoke, different things like that. So, um, yeah, the, the ice cream is pretty good. <laughs> so I suppose, tell us, uh, as we're, we're sitting up in your, your kind of lovely glass mirrored bar, it's disguised two shipping containers, I believe, which is just a nice, I suppose, there's almost a, a kind of, I don't know how to say, like a poetic or aesthetic rawness to the Sicilian. If you walk in and you know you're in the distillery, uh, but tell us, tell us a little bit what we're looking at. Even particularly these short, you know, uh, swan necks and short line arms. Like, tell us the, the fun idiosyncrasies about your your distillery here. Uh, oh yeah, well, I suppose again coming from that, it was simply we we got a warehouse. The idea of the, the distilleries in this building was a warehouse, um, a warehouse in Dingle, and we put it in. It wasn't as planned. Although this is a very nice room. Um, this room is a shipping container, two shipping containers um, that were brought in um, and are very nicely finished, put in uh, what is a production facility. You um, can see we have a very nice view of our foresight stills. Um, so yeah, our stills are something that an awful lot of planning and thought went into, very sharp mix like you pointed out. Um, I suppose the thought process for our stills were that we, there's many reasons I suppose to set up and dig, one of them is the climate. And I suppose for us, more than maybe other distilleries, but I suppose it's the minimum of all other distilleries, the legal minimum being three years for maturation. Um, but we won't be able to, our business plan would have to, or would certainly to try and make more sense that we'd be able to produce a whiskey of quality in a shorter period of time. Not that we wanted to rush anything. Um, but with our stills, what we've done to try and achieve that is the short neck. By having a shorter neck, the vapors that would tend to carry most flavor would also be the heaviest. And so if they would naturally rise up the neck of the still, they tend to be the first ones to drop off. Um, so if you have a very uh, tall still, Glenmorangie like in Scotland, I think have the tallest uh, pot stills in single malt production. The distillate that tends to make its way to the top of their still is very delicate and floral. Um, but for us, with having short we get a very heavy, full body, robust distillate. On the good side of that, it creates a very full body whiskey. Downsides, although it makes it easier for the, the positive flavor profile, I suppose, in conjures to make their way through, it also makes it easier for the impurities. 
um, as well. You also have one of the, or some of the most aggressively declining uh, line arms. Yeah, well. yeah, well, we, yeah, we do. Part of his chin still, which is a nice gentle incline. It's yeah, lighter. Discipline. Again, that was that was part of it to drag the lowest, have a lowest point possible. Um, like I mean, the the point of entry into the condens column is only about a couple of feet above the actual where the liquid would be boiling off the still, so quite low. So we get a nice pull off of your, your conjures. But um, that all contributes an awful lot of flavour profile, like I said, not all of it. And positive, positive can be tainted impurity. So on the second and third still, you may notice our boil balls, mm-hmm. our bubbles. So this is to increase reflux. Um, also, distillation within the still um, helps with that purification because it's all fine creating a very flavoursome distillate, but if it's going to take years to be rounded off by a cask, it's counterproductive. So um, the second and of course the third still three distillations help with that purification um, as well. So we we are releasing whiskies now. We have released whiskies that are, are just three years old, which in the better scheme of things is very um, very young, but we are incredibly, we wouldn't have released if we weren't happy with the quality of the product and we are happy. Now most of the, the vast majority of our whiskey um, is maturing for older age um, older age older relative to our three-year-old releases so far, but maybe not to, um, to what some of the other distillers are doing yet. But uh, yeah, we're very proud of what the quality of the distillers um, and what's been achieved by uh, by those the shapes of our stills. So they're making molten pots of moment, I believe. Uh, yeah. In, in conjunction with the Eugene and Bach. I suppose give us uh, give us a rundown because I know obviously you know every distillery will start on single malt usually as it's very basic, uh, straightforward type of distillation to run. Give us some of the indications on kind of some of the challenges that pot distillery face because obviously even even John Matuk will come from Scotland. Uh, he'll have he'll he would have I suppose at one point had had to learn his pot still probably elsewhere and brought some tips and tricks. Yeah, things to avoid. Well, yeah, I suppose the the, the main the main difficulties um the main difficulties with the pot still side of things is that it's more on the brewing side of things. Obviously, it's very straightforward to convert your sugars and your barley when you use malted barley. It, it, it should work. Um, the pot, problems with pot still, obviously, the higher the, 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 the use of, of free barley, the more difficult it becomes to convert um, for the only other distillery in Ireland at the moment that has released whiskey that's possible in Middleton. The, guys, the, the only ones that were there before us, they have a very um, very fancy high tech mash filter press that can get the conversions. Nice uh, hammer Yeah, um, as you probably know, or um, our mash done here in Dingle is considerably lower tech. It's a uh, it's the big wooden pot basically with a um, perforated floor in the bottom. So that has been one of the main uh, challenge. And we use wooden fermentation vessels. Um, I suppose one of the main challenges for us is trying to get the level of conversion and to get it so that it's economically viable really to <clears throat> certainly on a, on a on like you're going to you're going to get if you're getting reduced LPAs or, or liters of alcohol because you're not getting the same levels of conversion, it's hard to justify. Um, but it's something that um, it's been a labor of love, I suppose, um, because 
we're incredibly personally incredibly passionate about possible as are all of the guys were immensely proud that we're involved in what is hopefully going to become um, a revival of the style of whiskey. Um, I said we're only one of two that has released the pots of whiskey now at the moment. It's, it's, there are many more coming in behind us. Um, and that's brilliant and very exciting for the industry. Um, as far as the distillation, there's certain key calling cards. I suppose when people think of Irish whiskey, it's certainly the most common um, kind of idea is this idea of triple distilled. It's a lot smoother and easy drinking than scotch or whatever. Um, for me, and from my understanding and my romantic idea of pot still, never claimed to be this bland, smooth, easy drinking. Like this idea, we, we do an, we put an awful lot of effort and that we put the, uh, here day to day to produce not an awful lot of whiskey. Um, and for us, the last thing I would want our whiskey to be is something that um, simply, oh, you, you could just drink, you wouldn't even know you're drinking it. Like, uh, certainly, the price and stuff of whiskey and the, the lengths that we're going to try and make a very good distance. I would want, no matter the surroundings or the company you're in, that if you had a glass of Dingle whiskey in your hand, you would be captivated by what was in the glass, that it would grab your attention and there would be a lot going on to garner that attention. Now, again, the, the knock on that, it might not be to everyone's taste. The easiest thing to do to, to people to autism is make something. I don't want to use the word bland, but the more mainstream parts, it wasn't that. But if you're for our pots, the, the main calling cards, I would associate probably pots with it. It tends to be super, sorry, the fucking spice of our, our spryness of, of pots, the, and trying to get back and more and more viscosity. Um, so that has been the really fun part of trying trying to produce something that had as much spice and viscosity into it as possible, and then the nervous squeeze as it matures and casks to see does it actually work out as you intended. Um, and I am very happy anyway with what we've done as far as possible. I know many people wouldn't have probably had the opportunity to, to, to taste it yet, but if you'll be willing to believe me, I'll tell you it's very good anyway. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was saying earlier, like, I always joke that this is probably the most popular whiskey that nobody's ever tasted, uh, simply on the, the sheer mass collectability of the bottles and the, and I suppose, ever increasing value of them. Even if you said, like I said earlier, even if you're lucky enough to buy one, you probably haven't tasted it. It's something that it obviously crops up. Like, I, I, I'm a member, I, I'm a fan of Irish whiskey and I collect whiskeys myself. Um, both Irish whiskey society tastings on this, so um, I, I, I would be very, and as you walk with things there, we're very much aware of what's happening in the different forms and bottles. And, I mean, we a lot of it is, is kind of, I can appreciate it, even for the likes yourself, it's frustrating, it's frustrating. I know that there's people that are frustrated, they don't get the opportunity to taste tingle whiskies, and it can, it's it, it nearly true, that's what we're caught in the collateral of things, bottles of Dingle whiskey selling for five, six hundred euros online. That seems ridiculous now. We didn't as the city sell it for five or six hundred euros online, but or anywhere else. But because they're the values of the whiskies are now being sold at, people like yourself or whoever don't get the opportunity to taste them because they don't get anywhere near a bottle, or if they do get a bottle um, as well, it's been held on to because of the ever increasing resale value and, and it's it's hard to justify even if you got it if you buy the bottle for 60 70 odd euros uh, and 
might be able to afford to drink about that. It's hard to justify maybe opening the bottle and drinking when there's a good chance that if you hold off, it's going to be warned. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what we can do as a facility. I don't know if there's anything that would make an effort. It's just that there's we're simply we're the first. I think it will become an increasing issue, really, when like we're the first of the new wave of distillers, and we're the only one that's selling our own whiskey as of right now. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm Pierce Lines. Yeah. As of um, yeah. Yeah. Very recent. Pierce Lines. Um, so as the Pierce Lines, I think Teeling are planning to do a release in the very near future. As the other distilleries start coming on. Um, because there's a lot of people that are within Ireland and around the world that are very passionate about Irish whiskey. But I mean, there was, there was only coming from three distilleries and uh, like without entering the cast finishes or whatever, it was still only coming from three distilleries. Uh, so it was the first thing that I suppose as people became more and, and fans, it was the first opportunity for people to become more you know, like collecting the whiskey or whatever. But now as um, more and more distilleries come online. Or ridiculous, like, like there's bottles of six or seven hundred euros being like they were only on sale like a year or so ago. Uh, only whiskies, um, but I think it's kind of that. Um, I don't know if it also it's because it's so rare. Like our, our first, our biggest batch release, our third batch, most recently was our biggest, that's the 13,000 bottles. Um, so, and the overall, some of the things that sort of drop in the ocean, so it, it is. When people write rare or whatever on the bottle. Dingle whiskey is exceptionally rare, so if you do get to put a mind to it that you really want to have a bottle of Dingle whiskey, um, it's not as always easy. Get out and we do tastings and stuff um, as much as possible, and um, it is something that we're not releasing a whole lot of whiskies now, but we do always try and engage and and bring whiskies to tastings and, and things like that as much to try and give the public an opportunity to taste it somehow because um, I know like well, I was one in Belfast recently um, and there was a couple of guys there that had bottles of the pot still which are as rare as Hennessy but had never actually tasted the pot still. They were lucky enough to get their hands on the bottle of couldn't drink so um, I had brought the, the pot still to it but it was to that kind of end to give up people the opportunity. Like because we've, we've we put an awful lot of, of um, Put an awful lot of work in here. There's an awful lot of thought and, and effort gone into trying to create a very good whiskey. But the idea of very good whiskey is not to be an ornament or a collector's item. The idea of very good whiskey is to be tasted and enjoyed. Um, so I mean, it pays the bills that people are clambering to get our whiskey and, uh, and facilitates the actual whole process moving forward. But ultimately, what we're trying to do here is create whiskies that people will will enjoy and share and and drink uh, not even going to have to try and sell alone in a couple of years time for what I'd see I think I think with the original release I think it'll be as, as our releases increase in volume and like I said as more and more distilleries come online I think it's a, it's a, it's a it's a phenomenon that's not going to last as longer uh, even though I've popped the bottles of whiskey at home myself, I wouldn't mind if they, get, they maintain their, their, their very high value. And what, what was the plan for buying number one then? That's what the popular side is buying number two. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the batch, I suppose, 
there is there's the way we do the releases. I suppose they they they, they have a, a, a certain appeal to collectors because they were done. I don't know if it was ever really intended to be like that. It was a romantic idea. We we filmed the number of casks on the 18th of December 2012. Um, cask number one. Um, the the idea is that it will remain in the distillery forever, and we'll just hold on to it. Now there is evaporative losses, which would mean it won't last forever. And there's the fact that it probably gets samples from what record as well. That <laughs> certainly won't last forever. Cast number two, um, the second cast we ever put was bottled on the nineteenth of December, two thousand twelve. Done in a very nice presentation box. Um, I can see one right yeah, there. yeah. The bottle then to reflect. And the general shape of our stills, um, well, roughly anyway, and then uh, yeah, two hundred fifty-two bottles. That was very important to us. We wanted to release something on as soon as possible. I mean, we were produced. There was an awful lot of planning that goes into the distillery. There's an awful lot of work that even happens in those three years to get to that stage. And I suppose <clears throat> we were literally counting down to the seconds to be able to release whiskey. Now. It would have been foolish to release any kind of a volume of whiskey as three years because uh, we wanted to give the, uh, the whiskey a better opportunity to mature properly. But we did want to mark the occasion of actually having whiskey by doing something. So we released that whiskey the night that we, we did it here on, we had a, on the 19th of December. We emptied the cast in front of people, filtered it, bottled it, and gave one to everyone that was in attendance. Now, a few of them went on sale in the market for about 300 or 350 euros. Um, but very few, a few of them went to uh, the likes of Ali and Celtic Whiskey Shop. But now, ones that, those ones that have made their way to market, they are the ones that are really. The, the cast number two was something like up to 2,000 euros when asked for them online. The plan was that we'd do a two year old, and as soon as we, we have another couple of casts, so as soon as we got to 10 years, to mark the tenure, we do that. Um, but yeah, those cast number twos are as rare as any seat. And then all it takes with whiskey is that somebody pays a ridiculously high price and then stacks the gold, sets the price. It's like the Middleton Pearls now. I've seen Middleton Pearls going for 15, 16,000 euros online. Uh, a couple of years ago, we thought it was crazy prices. They were five, seven, ten, now 16. It's just once somebody pays that. Then the next person expects to have to pay more. Uh, but yeah, uh, like it was done. Most of those bottles, most of those 252, I have won. We have, my father has won, uh, like the different people that are in attendance here and wouldn't part with it for the world. Like it was, they said, it was, that was the real purpose for the, I suppose, uh, with the nature of them. They are very attractive. Somebody being the first new whiskey released from the new distillery in however many years and all that. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, the first of this family, like the Pierce Lions, they marked as well, they had a very nice spot or something. But there was like, it was a larger volume, it was like 5,000, was it? Mm -hmm. 4,000 and 46%, and 1,000 cast. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a, it's, a, it's a culmination of an awful lot of work for, for distilleries. And for people, like uh, there's an awful lot of money, but there's a, a lot of blood, sweat, tears talk to get to that. I can see it now. Uh, as much as you want to capitalize in this work, of course, we're all in we're all in a business. Um, but although whiskey 
um, whiskey production in one sense is a is a business. But to me, anyway, and to most people you find it on it, it's more it's a business like water. Like there is like a lot of the distilleries in Ireland and elsewhere are owned by big multinationals where the bottom line is um, all that matters. But you see with the new distilleries that are coming online, all of these, there's 20, 30, depending on which report you hear, like, but all of these different distilleries, they're popping up. For the most part, they're all coming up well, for the most part. There's, of course, the big ones, the Tullamore's and, and whatever, but are the big, again, um, multinationals as well. But there's a lot of small, and family and kind of independence for for proportionally compared to like a Scottish or setup or whatever, there is going to be an awful lot of small different ones, and it, it consumes because it is will all, their passions, the amount of passion that is in the industry, and you need to have that passion because it doesn't make sense simply business wise unless you got very deep pockets. Like you. <laughs> so there's going to have to be something, and it is going to be special. And getting your hands on your first bottle of whiskey was very special for us. Uh, we used to do um, uh, whiskey schools here. Um, in the city, we used to do one. Uh, we used to do one once a month, uh, where we get people the opportunity to come down and uh, work in a distillery, get a feel for what it was actually like. Because we had a lot of a lot. It's kind of about the founding fathers, where they all kind of they all feel part. Of it. They all feel part of the whole process and want to get stuck in it. Like, and want to actually see how their whiskey, casting whiskey is made and involved. So we want to be as facilitating as possible, but like, especially with like 500 pound college, you're letting somebody come in and it's all day every day. So we used to have whiskey schools once a month. There's some family fathers, but a lot of the general public and on every whiskey school for them, there was somebody, at least one, that was strong. All the books setting up consider here, or I'm thinking of said, or they were sticking their nose, or they're going to kind of like, and there were some that have now come to fruition, but for the most part, there was a lot of people like that. Oh, I have a stone, I have a big stone building, it would be a beautiful setting, and sure, all like, and or they had a bit of money, and like, I'm sure there's so much money in it, and it's like, if you're getting into if you're getting into the industry just because you think you have something that would look like a pretty distillery or you have or whatever, you're just trying to capitalize on oh, uh, a business venture, you won't last because you need, it's a very tough process unless you're passionate about it. Like, nobody, uh, I would say nobody but myself or any of the lads or any of the directors or owners or whatever, they love their second of it because they're passion for everything that's happening here. But if you're simply looking at it from an economic point of view, um, it's not a fun business to run. That's <laughs> how we're getting involved, get involved in. And, and like we, we have seen that in most of the series that you'd see, like trying to get banks to give you, like banks simply can't get their head around what the hell it is. So, 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 so in the business plan, you want to set up a business where you only have expenses for a minimum of three to six years. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't plan on making any money whatsoever. And then at that point, maybe we'll make a little bit of money here. Yeah, yeah. Right. even maybe year 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure it was a lot easier when there was lots of third party stuff going around and you kind of make whatever you want. And yeah. a bit of a stop cap. Yeah, well, I think like that, again, that, that can make that can make sense um, from an economic point of view. You can get third party stock and you buy it for a certain price, you sell it for a certain price, you make a margin, 
whatever, and that can make sense for, for like people that are setting up their decisions, for most people that are in the industry now, that won't satisfy your passion for what you want to do. Um, I know there's a couple of decisions maybe that are, they will, that's now coming on the, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to get your hands on third party stocks to decide to start making it. So, so for the most part, now I think most of it, it's a, a, a desire to actually just complete the process and, and get their hands in and, and be able to be in full control of, of producing the style or the quality of, of this that you want to. So, if there was something about this distillery that people don't normally get to see or don't normally get to know that you really love, what would it be? Something maybe that's not the kind of usual, like obviously Oliver Hughes had a great brawl for the area for the distillery for the product, and, and that's obviously ingrained in its history. But what's, what's something you wouldn't get unless you spent time here that, that you really love about the place? Oh, I mean, I don't know if there's any one thing. Like I, I've, well, exactly that. I, lo I love every. We take great measures, like the, the awesome, every step along the way. I suppose one of the things that we did that was slightly different to what the industry was doing at the time, but has largely changed, is we do mature. You know, we use twenty different cast types for uh, for maturation now, and it's matured for the extent. So things like our pasta, that was something that I was passionate about. Um, I suppose uh, pasta, you know, the guys are able to make absolutely amazing distillate and, and amazing products in the pasta. Um, my only curiosity, I suppose, was to see what it would be like in other casks and not this uh, just simply finished in casks. So we have, I suppose, working in the backgrounds, we've only, we've only touched on um, what we have matured, and we matured, like I said, in over 20 different cast types. But I mean, well, I, I think every city we hear day to day, we do take great pride. Um, we taste all of our cuts and everything are done. We taste and smell, everywhere is involved. We produce batches, about 12 batches of whiskey per week. And for each batch, and all of the work that goes into this, over four to 500 litres of whiskey. Um, so we were incredibly engaged with our product right to make sure. Um, even down to the bottling line. Even down <laughs> to the bottling line. I mean, yeah, like we've we're now we have our, our new bottling lines, our, our third batch is the first batch of whiskey that we bottled off this bottling line, um, which is uh, higher tech than what we had before, and that it actually has the capacity to label a bottle of whiskey. Um, That's super nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, our uh, our bottling to date has all been putting it like it's still manually we put it onto a filler fill in the bottle not too dissimilar to what you might see in, in distillery and I suppose the visitor centers where you're bottling your own it's kind of that's what we have here we bottle we, we put we're bottling a couple of thousand bottles at a time and then the labels are all the cork is put in by hand the seal is put on by hand and then the label is applied and whether it's by hand as well um, which yeah, we've got a new super high tech uh, bottling line now uh, that, just just <laughs> that, that actually labels. We still have to fill the bottle by hand, carpet by hand, seal it by hand, but it labels. It labels. Which must be a godsend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If anybody has any slightly crooked labels, um, I think that's what blame me. Um, but, uh, I'm not 
uh, I'm not as dexterous as I should probably be with my hands. Certainly not. I'm not as gentle. Um, so, yeah. It's, uh, it's been a, a welcome addition to the facility. Fair enough. So I suppose the big question is what's next? What's what's the what's the share? What's the what's the plan? Um well I suppose the main changes that have happened have been an increase um in production. We've added since from the distillery, the additions that have been made since the start have been addition of three new um uh, fermenting vessels. There's plans to fully develop the site into um, a more conducive environment, I suppose, for the city and for, for visitors, um, and add to our uh, number of fermentation vessels so we can continue to increase production. Um, and then on the gin side of things, you can see right in front of us here, we have our brand new gin still. Um, so where we were producing before in a 500 litre pot, we now have capacity. Uh, Juice uh, five times that, you know, or four times that now in our, in our new gin still here. So um, that's about from, from the gin side of things and vodka is about broadening our base because although we've roots to market internationally, um, we've only really been selling domestically because the domestic market is so strong it just simply swallows up all of our product. Um, be broadening on that and there will be a broadening on the release and the increase in the volume of whiskey that's been released. So, Although I can fully appreciate most people listening will have had very slim opportunities to probably get their hands on a bottle of, or, or a dram of, uh, of Dingle whiskey, that should become less and less of a problem as we increase our volumes. We're at this present moment um, bottling our first release of whiskey for the US, or well, it's an extension of batch three or our, our third release, batch of single malt whiskey. And this is the first time we're actually setting a substantial volume of bottles aside and shipping them straight to the States. So that's now expanding on our markets. <clears throat> and later in the pre-Christmas anyway, we plan to release um, a pot, another pot still, whereas the first was 800. This, although it won't be a massive release, will be a couple of thousand, what, what the final volume will be. So there'll be more and more whiskey becoming available. Uh, and more and more of the different exciting casks that we have working in the background as well. Because um, I suppose, like, like you said, people are very much aware of the Dingle Distillery, know our story, heard an awful lot about us, and there's a lot of buzz in the industry when we got involved. Um, but actually getting your hands on the end product has been um, a bit difficult, but hopefully, we find more and more. Um, and that's been something that we're actually incredibly satisfied. It's all great to be working inside here day to day and I see it and I see the whiskey mature and we actually have to share it as well. It's incredibly rewarding as well. Fair enough. I suppose we'll, we'll wrap it up. Do you have a, do you have a cask in the warehouse that you're particularly excited? Like, I know when you're tasting through you usually find a couple of sweet ones. But <sighs> do, you, do you have a nice cask that kind of tucked away maybe or something like that? Um, Others, there's obviously a lot of different casks. We created, in the single malt, we tried to create a, a rich sweet distillate. Um, the, the, the pot still is quite rich and sweet as well, but it's a lot more spice to it. Um, and then with our maturations, be it in, in bourbon casks or, or different fortified wines or whatever, we tend to 
enhance the sweeter elements and add fruit like character and so on to um, the whiskey. And then I think it was actually for an Irish whiskey society tasting or some tasting I was putting together as I rambled through my warehouses, uh, the warehouse behind, I uh, came across a sherry cask. And we use six different types of sherry, um, most of them quite sweet, like Pedro Jimenez or Moscatel. Um, but this um, particular cask is a Montealado sherry, um, which is quite savoury, nutty. Um, and when I tasted from it, it was it literally blew my mind because it was like nothing and it's, it, it is our whiskey but it's also like nothing in the, the warehouse the, the maritime elements there's a lot spoken about the various distilleries and, and the influence of being so close to um, the sea here we are finding it for whatever reason whether it, there is more and more the older whiskies are having more of a maritime influence on the casket this was very savoury nutty and uh, Beautiful, very interesting whiskey that I'll probably be saving for myself. <laughs> I'm getting people very excited again, telling how amazing it is. But um, it's, uh, we won't be releasing it anytime soon. It gets better and better and better um, every time we revisit it, um, which is quite regular. Um, yeah, to be honest, but yeah, um, it was just interesting because of the, like I said, most of the other casts had a. Enhance, tend to enhance the sweeter elements. This was far more on the savory, nutty side of things. Well, I suppose before this tour group that's now uh, coming to where we are gets in here and starts off, I'll say uh, thank you so much for your time and inviting us in here. Um, very much uh, excited to see what comes down the line. And if uh, people are looking to get in touch or, or find out more information, where should they be looking? Um, well, we're on all of the standard social networks, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and Twitters. Um, if they want any general inquiries, they can, I suppose, direct them towards uh, our email at info at dingledistillery.ie. Um, but if you're ever, we're uh, incredibly proud of what we do. We're very happy to welcome not only you, but anyone that would like to, to come and visit us. Um, like I said, we, we have tours seven days a week, 12 months of the year, um, so the door is always open and we're always interested, are, are very much happy to, to share our whiskey and our story with whoever would like to, to visit us as well. I suppose uh, I'll say, uh, I'm on this uh, uh, app, and so thank you very much for your time. And if, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe. You can also find us on potstill.com. Or if you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter at potstill underscore. Until next time, enjoy.